Amen Corner, the Azaleas are popping. Hey, it's time for the Masters. Can X in Court Marshals, we podcast about podcasts, and then look ahead to a new Chief of Naval Operations. And if you haven't seen it already, the new Star Wars trailer. All this and more on Three Seasons. Three Seas in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Savello and John Schofield, and we thank you for joining us this week. For more of the Provision Conversation, please follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. And we're going to start off with Rearview Mirror. So let's begin today talking about the Masters. Whoa, uh, no, 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 we're not. No, hold on. Stay, that, uh, I'm sorry, what are we talking about? What? There was, I mean, there was a certain basketball team that won a certain basketball game this uh, past week. I, I guess it's, here, it's let me just, it's let me just, yeah, let me tee it up for you, my good man. So, please, um, please, please. <laughs> so you, you prepped it last week to say that this is the team that went from the first ever one seed to lose to a 16 seed to go ahead and win the national title winning the way they did. They were down in their last three games before the uh, championship game. That's right. To come back and win the way they did. I don't know what the ratings were, but I'm telling you much to your advertisement bash. (laughs) It was a great story. That is a wonderful story and and i'm usually the one who's gonna sit here and be like oh villanova won two of the last three national championships actually no story is better than the one virginia just wrote so congrats to you hey dynamite thank you so much uh yes you know i I spent four years down in charlottesville at the university of virginia um happened to come in in 91 uh along with corey alexander um yuri barnes junior burrows uh chris alexander uh, and of course, um, Jason Williford, uh, who is the assistant coach uh, under Tony Bennett right now. Um, it, it that Monday night. Well, actually, let me let me go back. You mentioned the the last those the last three games. Uh, so starting with Purdue, uh, then with Auburn, uh, and then finally with Texas Tech. And you just couldn't have scripted uh, the way those games ended. It's just phenomenal. And so when you when you talk about when you use words like destiny and and fate, uh, I mean, look, it was this was their year, and the fact that losing to UMBC in the historic fashion in which they did a game in which in which uh, DeAndre Hunter didn't play in, um, just a, a small footnote, uh, but again, you know, just a historic loss, a devastating loss, uh, one that they faced um, upright and came back this year and, and won the whole darn thing. Just magical. Uh, I, had the, I had the opportunity on Monday night while some of my, uh, some of my family members uh, as well as um, uh, classmates were in Minneapolis, excuse me. Uh, I was here in DC at the Ivy City Smokehouse uh, here in Washington DC, uh, along with a, a, a large group uh, of UVA alums uh, to include uh, Ted Jeffries, uh, a player who uh, who played on that team alongside Corey Alexander, uh, Jason Williford, Yuri Barnes, uh, and, and the rest. Uh, and I mean, hey, Big Ted was in there holding court 
and I was just happy for him. Uh, just it, it got a little tight and, and a little tense in there throughout the game, as, as you saw. I mean, a great, phenomenal game. Uh, UVA would, would go up 10 and relinquish a lead on Texas Tech shooting threes. And then just DeAndre Hunter in the second half put the team on his back. And they said, we're not going to lose this thing. Um, just, just incredible. Uh, an incredible uh, moment for the university. Uh, an incredible moment uh, for UVA basketball. Um, and I was just happy to see, uh, to see former classmates uh, and, and friends uh, rejoicing in that win. So, so, John, thank you for bringing that up. It's a great program. They, they deserve the win. It hurts my heart, but congrats to UVA. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen, we do have a podcast that the, that the folks want to listen to. Uh, so we'll jump into that. As I, as I mentioned in the forefront, uh, hey, look, Amen, Amen Corner, uh, the Azaleas, the Green Jacket, it's golf's, arguably golf's most prestigious major. Uh, it's definitely the first major of, of, of the season. But let's talk a little bit about the broader appeal uh, of the Masters. Um, is it just for, you know, I mean, guys like us, we get out on the course. Uh, some of us have a good golf game. Some of us have a good dress game. Uh, and maybe the two do not match. I, I digress. But as 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 the appeal uh, of of golf stretches across the nation, stretches across the globe, where exactly are we with the Masters? Is it uh, is it something that's that's gaining the attention uh, with, when a, when a name like Tiger Woods isn't necessarily uh, the marquee name that you're looking at, and, it, and it's going towards younger uh, players? Uh, what's your take on it, John? You want to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll say that no other tournament has really done itself the service of coming up with a catch line. You know, they, what do people think about? You even have Charles Barkley, who is the worst golfer on the effing planet, saying, oh, it's a tradition like any, unlike any other. Mm -hmm. Well, what other tournament has that? You know, the British doesn't have that. The PGA doesn't have that. The U.S. Open doesn't have that. So it's just, what do you do? How do you market it? Um, the Masters has done a really unbelievable job of giving itself an appeal. And, and it happens at a really unique time. It's right after March Madness every year. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's right when the rites of spring are here. You know, everyone's looking forward to warmer weather. And they're into golf. I think it's a great tournament and, and I've always loved it. I've always loved rooting for, you know, the underdog in the masters. Um, and I think everyone this year is going to be rooting for tiger to be that reclamation project. And if tiger is anywhere near where he is right now in real time, it's almost 6 PM on uh, Friday night. He's pretty close to, to the top of the leaderboard. If he's anywhere near the, the top of the leaderboard on Saturday and Sunday, watch out ratings. It's going to be crazy. Chris? I agree, John. Um, I think it definitely helps when there are a few names there um, in, in terms of driving uh, broader interest. I, I kind of, as you were talking, I jotted down a, a couple things that I think either helps or hurts uh, the masters. Uh, one is the production value. So they've done a great job of starting the week with the par three event, which is family friendly. You see, uh, you know, non-traditional faces, you see wives, you see girlfriends, you see grandkids. Um, they, they are trying, I think, to use that event to, uh, to make it uh, appeal to a, a broader audience. It's less about the scoring and more about the types of shots that, that people hit, um, including, you know, wives and girlfriends and grandkids. I mean, they, they get involved in that as well. 
Um, one thing that I, I think works against the Masters at times is the weather. Um, you, you know, early spring in Georgia, you, you tend to get some rain. And while that can make it exciting from a course standpoint, while making it either harder or easier, um, you know, when you have long rain delays, I think you tend to lose um, some viewership. And then finally, I think, you know, whatever that final pairing is, um, or, or, you know, the final few pairings, like you mentioned, if you get a Tiger Woods, if you get a Phil Mickelson, if you get a name that a broader group of people recognize, I think that does bring the crowds in and that, that helps with the ratings. Without that, I think it then becomes, you know, Sunday afternoon becomes more of a, uh, a, a diehard day to, to watch the, the conclusion of the Masters. It's fantastic to me. Um, catching, as I look across the weekend, uh, when you can pop in on it, and it just sort of, I guess I, I get like a calming feeling. I don't, I don't know if that's something that's, you, I don't think it's just unique to me. Um, as, as you're looking at the, the surroundings of the course, uh, does that make sense? That, like, yeah, that, that, that's the draw for me, um, looking at just how green it is, uh, looking at, at the azaleas um, and just even the, the, the large crowds, the large galleries. Um, it's a for, for me that's a that's that's the draw outside of the the amazing golf let, let me ask you each um, Chris I'll start with you do you have a favorite hole is there is there a hole that stands out uh, for you no I mean I you know I would love to be able to say I, you know I like this or I like that or I like game in corner I I'm kind of where you are I, I just enjoy watching the the whole thing um, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy um, tight kind of race to the finish in those final couple groups so um i I just like the whole thing um and and the fact that it it's played at the same golf course year in and year out you know at augusta is what distinguishes it from the other grand slams that Mm -hmm. tend to well not tend they do they rotate among other courses so you know year in and year out you you're able to see the same holes you're able to see people try different shots on the same holes and so i think that just adds to the whole experience uh for me my favorite hole and i just watched adam scott hit up to it um it's got to be 16. we talked about it a few uh podcasts ago and and uh, tiger let it roll in on the chip and and the nike swoosh was sitting there like hanging on the edge that was on 16. A majority of your uh, holes in one happen on 16. Right. 16 is closer to the finish than is Amen Corner of 12, 13, and 14. So 16 is usually when the rubber meets the road. The whole course is insanely hard. And it's wild to watch golfers either galvanize their abilities or fall apart like Greg Norman used to do and and the media used to make a big show of. But for me, 16 is when a guy is either going to win or lose, and it's the most interesting tee shot on Sunday that I think exists in golf, other than maybe Pebble Beach, where the U.S. Open is this year. Gentlemen, let's move to some Navy news. Uh, this week, the Navy announced it was stopping court-martial proceedings and actually dropping charges against the two Fitzgerald officers. So the CO and the officer of the deck, um, were, were charges would be dropped against them in lieu of actual SECNAV letters of censure. So, gentlemen, what are the communication implications uh, of this action? Uh, Chris, you want to start? 
Sure. Um, this has been a long, ugly process, um, you know, to say nothing of the fact that 17 sailors died, just kind of the lingering process that is un unfortunately associated with um, investigations and accountability processes and the like. This one, at least for me, really seemed to drag and be particularly ugly. Um, I, I think the the leadership made a smart decision to finally go a different route. You can argue whether or not that was the right route, but I think that their decision to not fight through the um, the, the legal wickets and not deal with the, the challenges and, um, from the, the defense teams any longer um, really allows the healing to begin. And I think it's both figurative and uh, literal healing for uh, the Navy as a whole, certainly for the people whose lives were touched directly by the collision, but for the entire surface warfare community. So um, there were a lot of lessons learned from these collisions, and there were uh, solutions that have been born out of those lessons. And every time the momentum seemed to be building um, for the surface warfare community, there would be another milestone in this case that, in my opinion, hindered that momentum, hindered that healing, hindered that esprit de corps. So I'm hopeful now that um, this is behind the Navy, that the learning and the healing can uh, continue in terms of learning and begin in terms of healing uh, and, and everybody can begin to move forward. John, how about you? I wonder how much families actually think the justice was served. Um, so I think the I, I think people are actually wanting some sort of comeuppance, some sort of prison sentence. And I don't know if that was ever going to come. Um, but again, 17 people died. And there has to be accountability. So I don't know how you get justice for the families. I, you know, this isn't a private industry. You can't pay out royalties to families for the loss of their loved ones. So for me, it's one of those things where you have to, you have to understand that this is military bureaucracy. And I don't know how we fix this. I don't know how we fix the death of, of sailors because of perceived or actual or accused uh, incompetence. But people died, and I think that that people should be held accountable whenever people die. And uh, and in this case, I don't know if justice was done. Yeah, I hear you. There are there are certainly lessons learned when whenever we go out on deployment, whenever a ship returns uh, from from deployment or an exercise, uh, there is always a moment to look at lessons learned. Uh, you know, while you were underway. Uh, that's something that's a matter of uh, a matter of policy uh, that we do. You would hope that uh, systems were put into place here to rectify the manner in which uh, this occurred, uh, so that it doesn't ha doesn't occur again. And whether that's uh, people getting the appropriate amount of training leading into the operation of the ship, uh, sleep while underway, uh, making sure that they are uh, are using all of the the systems uh, that the ship provides. Uh, to avoid a collision like this. The USS Fitzgerald and Arleigh Burke class destroyer DDG-62 
uh, involved in that crash back in June of uh, 2017. Uh, absolutely devastating. Chris, as you mentioned, uh, losing 17 uh, Navy sailors. Gentlemen, let's switch gears here. Um, we are all on Twitter. Uh, I know Twitter can be a dangerous place. It can be a funny place. Um, and it can be a surreal place to be in terms of social media platforms. Uh, as we're looking up, uh, as we're looking into, excuse me, the, the 2020 uh, presidential race, uh, the elections, it can be, not, I wouldn't say difficult, uh, that trying to gauge uh, where someone stands, where uh, a particular candidate uh, stands leading into, uh, leading into the election, looking at polls. Uh, we need to understand that Twitter is not a place where every American citizen who's going to go into the voting booth actually resides. So uh, when you look at the Democrat, whether it's the Democratic electorate or, or any other electorate, uh, trying to gauge the Twitter advertising, the, the, the Twitter fandom of a particular candidate uh, versus what, the, uh, what you might call the moderate middle uh, is actually thinking, you, you have to juxtapose the two uh, against one another. So my question to you is, uh, how much weight do you put on the Twitter reaction, the, the Twitter gauge? Does it matter uh, in, in the end? Uh, John, what, what's your take on it? I know you're, you're someone who uh, sits on Twitter and, and sort of watches the, the tennis match. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that it, it plays a very large role. Um, Pod Save America was live from Boston the other night, and they actually devoted an entire segment to how Twitter plays a role in the discourse uh, politically in this country and how people react to it and how stories are now written in major papers like the New York Times and Wall Street Journal because of Twitter posts instead of Twitter posts being made because of stories written in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. So that whole thing seems backwards to us to people who have grown up in a traditional media cycle. But now you've got the, you know, the, the script is flipped. It is a battlefield to be weaponized. And, and people weaponize Twitter. Um, you see the president use it every day. You see his supporters use it every day. You see the, the, the opponents of the president use it every day. Who would have thought 15 years ago that a social media platform would actually be the battle space? But instead of ignoring it, people need to get on board with it. And so we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Um, I would hope that Twitter would go away and that we'd have a more, you know, or at least a healthier discourse, but I don't think it's going to happen. Chris, where do you land on it? So I found the New York Times article that uh, John mentioned. Um, I, I found it very interesting. The article, which I'll share uh, on our write-up sure. podcast, uh, was based on the data from the Hidden Tribes Project, um, which looks at th this type of stuff. And just some of the statistics um, I, I thought were really interesting, especially when you consider you know, the Ralph Northam case in, um, in Virginia. Okay. Especially when you consider the presidential election, the Democratic primary that's going on right now, or when you look at um, issues like Supreme Court nominees or any other sort of national issue. Ralph Northam case where you saw, I mean, there was a social uh, and traditional media outcry in the days that followed the, the Northam revelations. And then we saw the 
um, the local poll in which 80% said that they really weren't bothered by it. Um, so, I mean, you really saw a disparity uh, and, and I probably should soften that, that said he shouldn't go, right? I mean, that's me generalizing, but I mean, you right. saw a disparity between this outcry on social media and uh, what um, traditional polling saw. Um, I, I see it as a, as a data point, right? I mean, I think that as you, you know, there's a lot of people that follow those trends and use those trends to lead traditional reporting or use those trends on social media to draw conclusions about how well or how poorly they are doing in an information campaign, I, I would encourage people just to use it as one of several metrics when you're making decisions about what the environment looks like when you're planning, how well you're doing, and then whatever um, conclusions you draw at the end of your campaign. I think that's, that was the big takeaway for me from, uh, from the information in, uh, in the poll uh, and the analysis done in the article. I am continually baffled by where we, as, as time moves forward, as we quote unquote progress as, as a nation, um, how information is received, how information is generated, how it's received, um, how it's processed. Uh, I mean, I, I, I get that that's the business that we're in, but as I look at the broader, I mean, exactly what we're talking about, right? Like there's a segment of the population that actually uh, engages on social media. And then there's just this other portion that has chosen, you know, and, and rightfully so, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going, you know, all politics is local and maybe they're just concerned with their local news or getting their local newspaper, right? That, that still exists in this country. Uh, albeit a smaller at a smaller amount. But the percentage of voters that are involved or engaged in social media that are trying to process uh, that information, um, it's, it's scary almost to me, the people that, okay, I'm gonna sit on Twitter, I'm gonna sit on Facebook, I'm gonna sit on Instagram or wherever you are and take that, or even just, or, or heck, just you know, cable, cable news networks and I'm going to take this in, listen to it, and have it inform my decisions. It's something that gives me a great deal of pause uh, because I don't, I, I don't know if we arrive at better without, like John was saying, John mentioned, you, you mentioned that I wish Twitter would go away, but you know, I, I, I don't know where that is on, on the spectrum. I mean, there's nothing, and we've talked about this before, I mean, there's nothing unique about Twitter as compared to a newspaper or uh, people writing on a scroll and passing it around or, you know, cave drawing. I mean, it's, it's a communication tool, right? But what is different, I'll say, is the speed and the reach of social media, right? right. So, um, and I think if you, if you think back to where we've struggled with this in newspapers, um, the difference is, is that speed and that reach. So, I mean, when the, you know, we're Navy guys, uh, when the USS Maine blew up in uh, Havana Harbor and people blamed the, the Spanish for it and wrote stories about it and, you know, got people really angry and it, it solidified um, the, the political will to go and strike at the Spanish, boom, we, you know, the country was off and running. And there's many other uh, examples of how based on a, you, you know, the desire to sell newspapers or, or achieve um, 
you know, TV ratings, how stories were shortcut or how the wrong information was shared or people went with it too quickly. The difference now is, is that that professional um, cadre of people who were trying to do it has been replaced by the masses. And mm -hmm. so some people love it. Some people say, hey, that's as pure as it, as it gets, is that there is no filter. People could share information and it's up to the recipient of that information to decide what's good and what's bad. Right. I think we're seeing um, that it, it has consequences. Uh, and, you know, what do we do with those consequences? Um, I'm not sure we've figured that out yet. Listen, gentlemen, um, it's always an, an engaging discussion. Um, uh, thank you for, for hanging with us. Um, we, we look back in rearview mirror, but now we're going to take in deep dive. Uh, stay with us. You're listening to three season of hot. Provision advisors. We prepare your team for the what ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. Hey, we're back with three season of pod and it's time for deep dive. Gentlemen, what are we doing right now? We are podcasting. This is a, a podcast, a weekly podcast uh, that we do. And um, I'd have to say that there are probably uh, no less than 5 million podcasts operating on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple iTunes. What makes a podcast and, and, and what is the value? I'll, I'll start by saying that podcasts have to hit what hits you or what motivates you personally and professionally. Okay. So... My two favorite podcasts, uh, Pod Save America, well, other than ours, but Pod other Save than America. Season of pod. Right. Yeah, um, but Pod Save America, because I actually learn, you know, you're, you're talking to people who worked in the White House. Um, you, you learn from their experiences, and I want to be able to, to be in a place. Um, oh, my God, Tiger just made an amazing par. Um, this is a you, real live podcast, folks. Keep it in. Keep You're it in. Tiger it just made a crazy part. Uh, but then I also listen to stuff that, because life is so serious and, and, and the political discourse is so negative, I listen to this thing called the Babysitter's Club Club. And it's these two guys who talk about the Babysitter's Club books. And they're two very educated dudes. Um, and, and they talk about it like it's a book club and it's neat and it's funny and it's, and it's a niche type of thing that I think we're all looking for. So podcasts, I think if anyone's out there trying to find the magical elixir, the formula to make a podcast stick and be popular, it's that it's got to appeal to an audience that has a certain need. I want to be entertained and I want some levity in life. And then I also want to be informed. And those are my two main podcasts other than, than ours. And I'm, I'm interested to see what uh, you guys listen to. John, before I tell you what I listen to, um, I, I have really found uh, podcasting, whether it's in our own experience as part of ProVision Advisors or um, in previous jobs, I, I've just found it to be a, very good way to share information. Um, and and I, I think, John, as you described, I think about the types of things that I would like to hear 
Um, I think about uh, the ease in which people can take podcasts with them just about anywhere yeah. and um, try to pair that together and, and use that as a communication tool. So, you know, the, the point of this show, as we've talked about many times is, is to share information and our thoughts and kind of our view of the communication and pop culture and current events with like-minded folks um, and get feedback uh, on, on our thoughts uh, in the hope of, um, entertaining and informing that that audience, uh, and I think that there's a real opportunity for people to to you know identify an audience, identify what they want to talk about, and then come together and share that information in a way that is easily con consumed. That perhaps print or video or other mediums of sharing information aren't as easy to uh, to prepare, aren't as easy to consume and don't have the lasting power that um, podcasts have, um, you know, given the, the number of platforms that, uh, that audio programs can be hosted on. It's, um, it's a really uh, a robust market. There are a lot of people, it's like everybody's throwing, like, hey, I'm gonna throw my podcast at the wall uh, and see what sticks. Um, I look, I listen, and I, and I know that, that the two of you do this as well, uh, listen to Tony Kornheiser. Tony Kornheiser started, started off on ESPN 980 uh, many, many years, uh, and then made the switch over uh, to a podcast. Um, the Desus and Mero show that's on Showtime, uh, they have a podcast uh, called Bodega Boys. Uh, so those, you know, there are two that I listen to right there. Um, I recently, along with four other uh, fathers here in Washington, D.C. Um, we call ourselves Capital Dads D.C. have started a podcast called Letting All the Heat Out. Why? Because we felt that as fathers, um, uh, and quite honestly, as um, black fathers here in D.C., um, there was an audience out there that wanted to hear about things that we had to say, things that we had to say about our community, uh, things that we had to say about hip hop culture, uh, because we are all music buffs uh, and things just, you know, about living in, living in D.C., raising children uh, in D.C. and the, um, the challenges that go along with that. Um, and, and we just wanted to get out there and talk about it. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that, that we started uh, Three Season a Pod. Look, we, we enjoy, uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but we enjoy what we do. This, this was our career for many years. Um, and there are people out there that can benefit, uh, I think, uh, from what we have to offer uh, from our vantage point. And um, it's good to, it, to me, it's interesting, right? It's, it's interesting, it's compelling uh, to talk about how, we, how news is um, uh, positioned and how news is digested, how, how people uh, run with stories or how uh, people try to uh, position themselves in the media market. Those are things that uh, kind of get our goat a little bit. Um, I was, uh, when I recorded this, um, and, I, and I don't mean to, to, to push uh, letting all the heat out, but we recorded our first, uh, uh, our first podcast in studio just yesterday. And one of the fathers mentioned that this is like the early days of hip hop. Uh, one thing uh, that rapper Kwame mentioned uh, in one of his first albums, he said, is this Christmas? Cause everybody's rapping. 
<laughs> so, so everybody's got a podcast. Everybody's got a podcast, right? And that's it's just this, this new thing out there. And some things are going to stick and, and others will, will fall by the wayside. And if you can be original, if you can be compelling, if you can, you can target your audience and, um, you know, ride, ride that, uh, ride that wave, uh, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll be able to affect some change. Uh, I think that's what we're trying to do here, uh, with three C's and, and, and provision advisors. Uh, that's what we're trying to do with capital dads, DC. Uh, it's an, a podcast then an audio version of a twitter account that you follow so uh, it, it, is it for right, me it's right. the same thing and that i have a certain uh set of accounts that i am interested in and okay. so i listen to them um or i follow them on twitter the 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 real allure of a podcast is that you get to hear it with more content. You're not restricted by the 240 characters of Twitter and people get to actually show their personality. Like we get to do here. I, I want to switch gears just for a second. Yeah, um, we talked about, Hey, what does it mean for the individual, both from a listening standpoint? What does it mean from the individual, from a producing standpoint? Um, I, I really want to stomp the table, so to speak, on if you're a communicator and you have a client or a senior leader that you work for, I really think it is a very, very good venue to push um, your principle towards uh, to be able to use as a communication tool to get your story out, right? And so obviously you have to find the right podcast the, that fits the message or the story that you're trying to share. Right. But I, I find it a very, um, it, it is that, that as we talked about, it's that mixture of information and entertainment that can allow the personality of the individual to come through the airwaves. But it's also safe, um, I think safer than doing video um, which really kind of adds the the other dimension, uh, the the other vi the visual dimension, which um, makes people a bit uncomfortable. Um, and so this allows you to come on. It allows you to be yourself, to talk about what you want to talk about, to tell a story, um, and then share your that story with um, lots of different people that you might not uh, be able to do. So for some, they find it the ability to create their own podcast around whatever story they're trying to, to tell, like we did with three season a pod, or there are others that are going to pick and choose different podcasts and be story, you know, guest storytellers on those podcasts. But if you haven't tried podcasting with and for your principal, I would really encourage you to get out there and take advantage of it. Uh, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, stay with us. Uh, we will be back with On the Horizon. You're listening to Three Seas in a Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Friends, welcome back to Three Season a Pod with Provision Advisors. Let's take a look out on the horizon at what the next week might bring. Chris, you're up first. What do you see out there? Yeah, so at the end of this week, uh, President Trump nominated the next Chief of Naval Operations, uh, Admiral Bill Moran, 
uh, a former boss of mine um, and, a, and a mentor still uh, was, was nominated to be the next chief of naval operations. Um, and so for me, I'm, you know, want to watch how Admiral Moran prepares and um, where he and his team look to take the, the Navy. Um, it's estimated that he'll take the baton from uh, Admiral John Richardson, who is the current Chief of Naval Operations. They'll mm-hmm. do a turnover uh, sometime in late July. Um, and so I think if you listen closely to some of the things that Admiral Moran and Admiral Richardson have been talking about, you'll, you'll see. And what I'm going to be watching is, does Admiral Moran take advantage of the opportunity to get the Navy uh, more digital, if you will, bringing in AI and, and data sharing? Mm-hmm. Uh, will they be able to uh, will he be able to take advantage of the new partners uh, that are emerging, both international partners, but also in uh, industry in the United States? Um, and what will the Navy look like um, into the future? Will Admiral Moran and his team be able to clearly articulate a vision of what the Navy should look like beyond the traditional of X number of ships? Um, will he be able to lay out a plan that the Congress and the American people uh, get on board with? So not so much a look on the horizon for the next week, although it'll really start in earnest next week. But really, this is something that uh, I'll be watching for a long time. And I'm sure we'll talk about it on this podcast. Outstanding. John, what's on the horizon for you? Uh, well, I saw the first trailer for the next and presumed last uh, Star Wars trailer, um, The Rise of Skywalker. So here's where my life is. My 13-year-old will text me a link to an awesome movie trailer, and I'll watch it, and then basically my entire life will revolve around that phenomenon. Um, so that's kind of like Game of Thrones. It's kind of like any other mainstream um entertainment phenomenon that people want to get away from the Trump and the Pelosi and the government and the negativity going on and that there's a great opportunity in the entertainment industry to bring people out of the malaise. There are people from age 70 to age 17 who are dependent on this entertainment. Why? Because the real life current events depress them so much. And, and that's, the, that's the nature of the beast right now. So if you're in the entertainment industry, you have a great opportunity to capture people's attention. How are you going to entertain them and distract them and tell them that everything is okay? Hey, listen, uh, John. You had mentioned you had mentioned escaping uh, sort of the uh, larger uh, DC political uh, haze uh, when talking about that that Star Wars trailer release. Uh, so, as someone who is a DC uh, DC resident, um, another thing that happened this week uh, was a particular hashtag uh, called "Don't Mute DC." Uh, revolves around a Metro PCS store that sits on the corner of Seventh Street Northwest and Florida Avenue Northwest. Uh, the main uh, issue here is uh, you have a store that used to pump uh, go-go music outside of its uh, outside of its doors uh, to the to the intersection there uh, at Florida Avenue and Seventh, much to the the delight uh, of passersby. 
what you have is um, a larger gentrification issue uh, that's happening uh, in and around DC, uh, where you have uh, condos, apartment buildings, high-end uh, condos and apartment buildings being built uh, around some particular uh, places, uh, iconic places in Washington, DC, and pushing uh, long-term residents uh, out, of the, uh, out of the neighborhood. Uh, there was a threat, excuse me, not a threat. Well, yeah, a threat made to, uh, to, to sue, people, right? To, to sue, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, saying saying a, a particular individual was going to uh, sue T-Mobile, the parent company of Metro PCS, uh, if the issue of, uh, of noise and volume of noise uh, was not addressed. Um, um, as we talk about social media, the influence of social media, uh, and how it can move mountains um, as so long as you strike the right chord. Uh, within a matter of, I want to say, 48 to 70, 72 hours, once this made it all the way up to T-Mobile CEO John Legere, um, and he commented on it, uh, Mayor, DC Mayor Muriel Bowser uh, made outreaches uh, to T-Mobile. Um, and there were, the community itself rallied around the hashtag. There were, as you saw on local news, uh, incredible clips of people gathering out for two nights, I want to say, the past two nights, um, to play, play a traditional DC um, music, um, brand of music. Uh, it's, it's wrapped up in the culture of the district. It's called Go-Go whether it's Junkyard Band, EU, Doing the Butt, uh, Sardines and Pork and Beans, uh, Wind Me Up, Chuck. I mean, listen, it, go, it, it has history. It has a rich history here in the district. And people who are born and raised in D.C. and people who have, who have settled here are, were, were wrapped up in it. Uh, and sure enough, uh, as, I, as I say very often, CEOs and CFOs are concerned with bottom line. If turning off that music means that you're no longer going to have people walking into that Metro PCS store, then a CEO is going to take notice. And that's an issue that they do not want to have to deal with because an individual says they don't want to deal with loud music. Hey, listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're wondering why people are upset, you're new. You're new to this community. All right. You're not just going to come in and say, hey, look, I'm putting my foot down. This is not what I want. These district residents have been here. They're going to be here. And if you start messing with their culture and the things that they're used to, you're going to get pushback. And that's what happened right here, a pretty tremendous pushback. So we saw the CEO, like I said, uh, the CEO from T-Mobile come out and say, hey, look, the go-go music, is, it belongs here. It's a part of DC culture. Uh, and we, we're going to work with the... Uh, with the owner of that Metro PCS store to make sure that uh, that music keeps playing. So this, listen, this uh, was, yeah, go ahead, this go was ahead. a long time coming though, right? I mean, like, um, I, like I'll like i zoom out in that as somebody that grew up in the, the Washington DC, um, you know, area. I mean, yeah, not in yeah. DC, but around it, I mean. Leonardtown. Right, the gentrification of DC. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it is just, it, they have, they, I mean, I sound terrible. I should, you got to watch pronouns. 
the city has changed dramatically. I'm 43 years old. In the, in the 30 <laughs> years that I remember, right? Some people will say for the better, you know, when you look at crime and you look at um, the way the city uh, comports itself now in terms of like it's a successful city and, you know, taxes and yada, yada, yada. But right. it, they have stomped out what it means to be uh, the District of Columbia. It, it is just gone. And um, I had, I chuckled and I shouldn't bash because I mean, you did a great job of capturing the emotion, but the, I watched the uh, channel four, which is a local NBC station. Mm -hmm. I watched their mm -hmm. story. And I mean, there is just, you talk about storytelling. They nailed it on this side is the, the gentrifiers who, I mean, really like could not, they, they couldn't encapsulate better what it means to be a new dc resident versus the other side which is like old dc wrapped mm -hmm. around this issue um so that for me i mean that i'm surprised this didn't happen sooner um and, and i i don't think this issue goes away quietly i mean you mentioned which is yeah, chris be a big so I, I'm, I'm sorry to step over you like that i do apologize no. um which is why i put this Yep. on the horizon yep no it's, absolutely yeah it speaks to a larger issue that's happening each and every day out here on on the streets of dc and uh and i believe we're going to be talking about it again here in the future so yeah. there you go All okay right. hey what a gentleman a, a great podcast this is one uh that that i'm sure uh we all enjoyed we talked about a lot of subjects uh, for, for those of you listening at home, listen, we really appreciate you hanging in there with us. Uh, we hope that you continue to come back so that we can uh, continue to build on our conversation uh, and share things with you. Uh, John, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us here on Three Seasons of the Pod. As always, we welcome your feedback, so please uh, continue to leave comments. We love uh, hearing what you want, and we'll continue to strive uh, to, be, uh, to be the best podcast that we can be for you. Uh, and until we meet next week, as we always say, be good, be safe, and be better. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.